So welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. It felt like we had been flung back two years into the past as Ulster and La Rochelle took to the Aviva, completely devoid of a crowd, save for an official delegation from La Rochelle. The decision to move the game from Belfast to Dublin was contentious at best. The freezing of Ravenhill not only cost Ulster a critical home advantage against the European champions, but by Johnny Petrie's estimation, will cost the organisation itself roughly £700,000. <laughs> Understandably, waves of frustration crashed over social media from Ulster supporters at EPCR's handling of the fixture, compounded by the aforementioned travelling party and the fact that the Kingspan pitch appeared playable on Saturday morning. The game itself was hard to digest. By halftime, Ulster were behind 29 points to nil, an eerie and miserable repeat of sales 39-0, drubbing of them a week before. However, in the second half, the qualities that make Ulster one of the URC's most eminent attacking sides seem to reappear out of thin air. It's a 40-minute showing that has the potential to reinvigorate a mentality which Leinster seemingly broke two weekends ago. Ulster can head back to the URC with their enthusiasm reinstalled after getting the better of the reigning Champions Cup holders in the second half. Or can they? To discuss and dissect all of the above, I'm joined by Nathan Johns, Caelan Scully, and Nigel Quigley. So, great to have you all here. Um, first thing I want to talk about is this controversy about the pitch and the spectators having to move down to Dublin. So, Nathan, fill us in a wee bit with your understanding what happened in terms of timeline and stuff with the pitch and the fans that's caused this much controversy. Yeah, it's, it's certainly messy, isn't it? Um it's difficult to put an exact timeline on it because it's it's not 100% clear when the concerns on the on the pitch and, and the frost, uh, when those concerns started becoming particularly worrying. But from my understanding, there are two separate conversations to be had here. One is what went wrong up at Ulster. That's, uh, they were one of two teams in Europe dealing with a severe cold span to have a poor enough pitch that it wasn't playable, but the only one who didn't make arrangements for fans still to go in. The other team was Glasgow, who, who did make arrangements to change grounds and still have fans. So that's kind of one conversation. And then the other conversation is, what in the name of God happened that 100 Lower Shell fans, because delegation, that they were fans, um, were allowed into the ground at, a, at an Ulster home match. I mean, let's, let's deal with the second one first, because I think that's more, you know, cut and, cut and dry. My understanding of it is there's a, there's a system in France where, you know, there's like a, I call it a season ticket plus type of scheme where you've got the club benefactors, club sponsors, not so much, you know, there'd be a corporate uh, corporation sponsors, but a series of individuals who pay put quite a lot of money into the club as an individual and you get certain perks. And I, as far as I can tell, the perk was you get your, the Christmas trip to Belfast or in a way European game. And we all know how important Europe is to La Rochelle in contrast to some other French teams. So, and, and La Rochelle kicked up a bit of a fuss when they were told that those people couldn't go, go into the game uh, Johnny Beach on Twitter said they were threatened. Ulster was threatened with legal action if they didn't let these people in. I, I think that Ulster would have had to foot their travel bill more or less um, if if they didn't if they didn't get it if they weren't allowed in. So, look, EPCR deserves some stick for not sticking up to to La Rochelle there and for redefining what first of all what is a fan because if somebody with a hat and scarf and a flag isn't a fan then who in the name of God is and also for redefining the meaning of behind closed doors, because last time I checked, even sponsors don't get in in a behind closed doors event. So that's the EPCR kicking, so to speak. Uh, the Ulster kicking, look, information started to leak through this morning about what actually happened. Uh, apparently, 
even though the frost was an issue during the week, heaters didn't arrive at, at Kingsman until Thursday. So you can understand why the EPCR were very nervous about any, you know, left 48 hours out. That's when the heating of the pitch starts, you know, alarm bells start ringing. Um, Ulster wanted the game moved to Sunday for TV reasons, where BC couldn't do Sunday, and also uh, the French league. I think they've got matches next Friday, so they said no chance. There's no chance of a, of a of a turnaround. Now I know Ulster also have a game next Friday against Connacht, so Ulster were willing to have that short turnaround. The French clubs uh, kicked up a fuss, and and that wasn't going to happen. Um, the other thing I heard was that apparently. The in-goal area was the only frozen part come the Friday night inspection. Uh, that, From what I understand, that's false. Apparently, Luke Pierce uh, dictated that 60% of the pitch on Friday evening was unplayable. So, And the EPCR wanted the inspection on Friday morning. It didn't go ahead until Friday evening. So they they kind of they gave them until more or less 24 hours out and then took the decision out of their hands. With all that information, I can understand why... I know, Peter, you're of the opinion that Ulster Rugby deserve a lot of, a lot of blame here. Um, a lot of fans... Playing EPCR, I, I think for for the for those reasons, the lack of heaters when you live in you know a country that does get cold every time to time, um, not a lack of heaters till Thursday, and the fact that sixty percent of the pitch was still unplayable twenty four hours out, and then Ulster could have made that decision earlier, done a Glasgow on it. Glasgow made the call to move the game on Wednesday. That left enough fans enough time to get stewards into Murrayfield to their second ground for fans to get in. You know who knows? You could have got a couple of thousand Ulster fans in if, if Ulster did something similar. So. I think for the pitch, Ulster have questions to answer. And for the La Rochelle fans getting in, EPCR have a lot of questions to answer. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Nathan. And look, I think that helps explain it a wee bit more. There's a lot of sort of false information out there. A lot of Ulster fans um, keen to defend Ulster uh, at all costs. Look, I think there's, like most things, um, you listen to both sides of the story, then the truth uh, lies somewhere in the middle, <laughs> usually with these things. But Nigel, I, I want to hear from a fan's perspective, and as a passionate Ulster rugby fan, what was so frustrating about how events transpired at the weekend? Well, I heard today, but I can't confirm it, that Luke Pierce wanted to do a pitch inspection on Saturday morning, but the EPCR said, no, we've decided to move it and we're moving it, but I can't confirm that. Um, now, bottom line is, lads, we can say all the things we want about it. There was an international game. There was a game played at Windsor Park on Saturday afternoon. No covers, no heaters. It went ahead. Pitch was playable, two miles apart. So take from that what you will. It's a grass pitch with no underfloor heating. So take from that what you want. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people are blaming Ulster. A lot of people are blaming East EPCR. I'm going to tell you one thing, though. And yeah, I see you're grinning, but I'm going to tell you one thing. When the RDS pulled out on Friday night, what would have been wrong with doing a pitch inspection on Saturday morning before they departed? They departed at 9 o'clock. The ground staff went out at 9.30 and said, this pitch is playable. So what was wrong with that? And by the way, and as you probably know, an investigation has now been launched by APCR into this, so we've probably got another sanction coming. That sanction, I know what that is because they mentioned it on the Sunday that they may do it. That's for not having an alternate pitch. Right, because the RDS pulled out. Just so people understand, part of the participation participation agreement with EPCR is you must have an alternate pitch agreed and arranged in case for whatever reason, and that could be freezing, floods, whatever, you have an alternative venue. So the RDS would have been an agreed alternate venue. How come we couldn't you know, have that game there when it's the agreed venue? So that's an issue that IRFU, Ulster, Leinster need to look at as well. That fell through. That would have stopped the subsequent investigation that's probably now going to punish Ulster further. 
Uh, as for the fan thing, well, for goodness sake, you know, I'm totally with Nathan on this. What defines a fan? If you've got a hat and a scarf and you're waving a flag around, you're a fan. They decided to make them all delegates on the day, threatened all sort of legal action if they didn't get in. EPCR folded like a deck chair and let them in. Um, so that was a, that was farcical. The whole thing's up been farcical. But it all happened very quickly. And I'm just going to give you a quick theory I have. This didn't begin this weekend. This began last weekend. For me, you know, when you consider the Ulster lads were at an airport until about 1.30 odds in the morning, had to be back at 6 for a flight, I have no doubt Ulster would have pushed really, really hard to get that game moved really hard and failed. And we're probably told turn up or forfeit and a fine, etc. So they turned up. 60% knackered, got, got hammered, went home. I think that's when this started because it just accelerated far too quickly this weekend to be a one-off event for me. Yeah. No, I appreciate I appreciate that, uh, Nigel. And um, I take your, take your frustration and uh, sympathise with it. There's lots of people who really wish they could have gone to the Kingspan with friends, family, people back for Christmas, uh, wanting to go uh, and, and see a home game that they don't often get to see. And, Look, there is, uh, there's blame, which lies, in my opinion, with Ulster Rugby. And part of that opinion is formed from the, the information that has leaked out today or has come out slowly uh, today. We weren't aware of all the facts, but um, th- there's a very interesting article a- a- about this, which, uh, and I'll maybe put up a few bullet points from that on the Red Hand page, uh, which suggests... Yeah, well, uh, there's there's various and there's there's people who've messaged me with uh, with information about what went on in, in actual fact as well. So, um, look, it's it's unfortunate, but um, I think uh, contingency planning could have been better. Would be would be uh, my opinion on that. Um, Kaelin, in terms of how much do you think the change in venue and lack of fans had an impact on that game? Do you think? It distracted Ulster to the point where it could have been a completely different result otherwise. I've seen this in the notes and I, I'd like to think that Ulster weren't affected by it because like, we had a, a bad week of weather leading up. You'd imagine they'd have thought there's always a chance this game gets moved. Like, I, I know what Nigel was saying about potentially the alternate venue, but Rory O'Connor was on last night on Off the Ball saying that every province alternative venue is the Aviva Stadium which is why Munster moved to the Aviva Stadium last year when they couldn't play a game. So something something somewhere is a little bit awry. So I'd like to think there was always a chance and that the players, whatever about fans, whatever about media, whatever about everyone else, the players knew from minute one, this could happen. And if it's, you know, if it's not in Ravenhill, it'll be here. If it's not Saturday, it's Sunday, whatever, whatever way it might have been. But they turn up and it's... 3, 6, 9, 12. Next thing you know, they're 29 nil down at half time. And maybe it did get to them, and maybe it is a factor. And if you're being uber critical, you're saying it shouldn't affect half the team. Most half of them have played for Ireland, they played in the Aviva. Maybe it's just the pure disruption of the week, but we don't know. Like we're not not gonna play armchair psychologists here either. But like I ideally it didn't affect them, but I think in in some capacity it did because that was a very on ultra like start, and I think if that was in Ravenhill, we never get the game we got. You know, in terms of one team race out into a big lead, Ulster come fighting back when Larishel basically go to sleep. We never get that sort of game. There's an awful lot more heart and passion and whatever else. And it's it is like the games before during COVID, where behind closed doors a different game altogether. 
And maybe that's just the long and short of it, where it's just an entirely different experience. I mean, it must be hard to adapt, and it is. It's a test, I suppose, of mental fortitude, how you adapt and change uh, in circumstances like that, unexpected um, turn of events. You're suddenly, you're 90 miles down the road playing a game, and <laughs> without the benefit of a, of a home crowd, undoubtedly it'll have an impact on you. But I think some, someone I saw on one of the, uh, the fan forums um, Someone was sort of saying, like, there's a siege mentality that you need to harness in those situations when your back's against or against the wall and everything seems to be going against you. I think that's what you need to harness, that sort of uh, bitterness that you, you you then turn into performance on the pitch, which ultimately... Absolutely, absolutely. Ultimately, they did, you know, but I, I wonder, was that the result of a hairdryer treatment from Dan McFarland at halftime or whatever he said did work and the adjustments that they made, and, and we'll come to that, certainly. So I want to talk, uh, having talked about the nonsense before the game, and I think we can all agree, like, it's, it's not what we want as, as fans. Uh, we want to see a good atmosphere in the stadium. We want to see want to see Ulster playing at their home ground, particularly if you're an Ulster fan. So, Nathan, we're going to turn to talk about the game. Give us your thoughts on that game. And we'll let you start with the first half and give us all of the bad aspects of what happened, if that's okay. Well, I mean, the first very obvious one, Caelan hinted at it with 3-6-9-12. You're just gifting away penalties there for, the, for an opposition 10 to... To, to kick Larchelle into a commanding position. I mean, it was remarkable that in, in these days, in a 29-point lead, only only two of those scores were tries. Um, you just don't see that very often. It was like the old-fashioned cup rugby. If you just, you know, you go on the road and you take every single point you can get. Um, and I saw a stat leading into this week after the the kind of the Leinster and Sale debacles that that Ulster's discipline has 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 been shocking. They're averaging around, I think it's between 13 to 15 penalties a game. In, in, during this run, which is, you know, you're not going to win many games of rugby averaging that many penalty concessions. So that that's a concern and that's something that it comes from playing under pressure. You give away more penalties, but equally it is it is something that can be managed as well. So, um, and it is something that Ulster, when they're playing well, have been very, very good at. Their discipline's been very good. Um, elsewhere, it just felt like whenever, whenever they made a mistake, they compounded it with another mistake. Uh, I mean, you look at two critical moments in that first half, the, the Ian Henderson yellow card, that comes from a long throw over the top from Tom Stewart. He throws the line out over the top and there's no jumper at the back and then there's no one running on at the back. There's no 12 crash ball over the top. So the call was given to him, was miscommunicated or he misheard it, whatever it was. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Larochel break through the hooker, Borgerit, and, and Henderson gives away that penalty on the deck and, and he's gone for 10. Um, then equally for the, I think for the first Larochel try, uh, it was a McCluskey pop to Marshall in midfield that went to deck. And okay, so also to make one mistake, but then they compound it with John Cooney fumbling in his own 22 and Antoine Astoy has an easy run into score. So I think we saw it actually in the second half as well for the for the Borgerit try with the off the line out. Um, Ulster actually stole a line out, but then a handling error and another handling error and he's got an easy run in. So it just mistakes compounding mistakes. They didn't recover well enough when the initial error happened. They, they couldn't scramble well enough. And in that first half, it, it absolutely destroyed them. I mean, Yes, Larachelle's physicality was good. It's always good. Um, for the second try, they had a they had a Greg Greg Aldrich coming in a hard line on the inside, and you know that just completely, you know, just tore Ulster's defensive line in half in terms of half going around the corner, but then half stayed, and then there was space in the backfield for the, for the chip in behind. Um, but you're always going to get that with Larachelle. Larachelle have really fast rook speed, uh, really physical guys, and you need to find a way of slowing that down. They didn't, and then an attack. I thought 
it probably just a bit too lateral, too wide, wide. You know, Leinster kind of were like that in the, in the Champions League final last year against La Rochelle. Too much, just trying to get to width, trying to get to width. And La Rochelle just kind of ate them up when they tried to do that. And when Ulster tightened up a little bit in the second half and kind of relied on their forward carriers a little bit more and earned the right to go wide, then they improved. So, yeah, for me, those are the, those are the major things. It was, you know, errors compounding each other and probably, you know, the wrong, the wrong game plan in, in attack to start with. Yeah. So it sort of continued. I think we all thought the worst, you know, after that first half. I thought, uh, I don't even want to watch the second half. Now, luckily, I did catch the second half because uh, the tide then turned and it was uh, fair, fair play to Ulster for fighting back. Uh, Caelan, uh, could you talk to us a bit about the Ulster comeback in the second half? What are the positives that we can take away from, well, that, that second half in particular? The massive positive, and we could sit down. <clears throat> excuse me, we could sit down here for the next two hours and talk about this format. But the massive positive is two points is huge. Ulster now have an opportunity where uh, I, I spoke about in, in my own piece today, where it, even though it's not in their hands per se, it's there for them. If they beat Sale, they're going to be eighth, seventh, almost automatically, regardless what happens in Irishel. We don't know, but. That's huge. So getting the try bonus point in that is a big thing. But and the losing bonus point as well with the last minute kick. But in terms of the, the actual second half as a whole, Nathan hit the nail in the head. Ulster did struggle in attack. They tried to go wide. They tried to go wide. It wasn't working. And like I have it here beside me. So John Cooney had seven carries in the game. I don't know how many of those were in the first half, but in the second half, it did feel like there was a snipe and tread. It looked like they were going to try and get to the the really short edges as opposed to, you know, like when Ulster started to test, as Nathan said again, with their forwards, they started getting somewhere. Like McCluskey had 10 carries in the game. I have it here, can't read my own writing. Um, and But even though it didn't feel like they were getting somewhere, they were slightly just starting to break them down a bit. And I think some of it is just Larachelle. They did start to tire. I think if, if we put the focus onto them as to, why did they let Ulster back into the game? Carbardo comes off after at half time, and Dante gets a yellow card midway through the second half. And they they are big moments; they're big players for them. But Ulster they did claw their boat way back in. The try from Vermeulen was as good of a try as we've seen this weekend. It was a brilliant kick by by Stuart McCluskey. And listen, they got they got two points out of it. That's good. Again, going back to the point I read originally the COVID behind closed doors kind of game factor, I don't know how much to read into it. I'd, I'd, I'm not going to hang my hat on Ulster's second half at the weekend and more focus on, well, what can they do in the sports ground on Friday evening? Because we know Ulster can play rugby. We know they can score tries. We know they can, like, stack went up by the URC today. They're the second most efficient team in the 22 in the league. We know they can do all that. But they did it at the weekend when the game was gone, when it was as good as lost. So to see if this is a, an actual slide or if they've just picked things back up, we'll go off what happens in the sports ground. And I, I do believe they'll, they'll bounce right back. They'll get a bit of confidence, but still a small bit too early to say. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's it. So we've been through 160 minute old, uh Minutes of dreadful rugby, sort of that seal game, the Leinster game, second half of that, the seal game, and then of course that first half. And uh, the big test will be 
big on it, as you say, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But Nigel, did you leave that game feeling positive about Ulster? Was there enough on show in the second half to suggest that we are now potentially back, back to form? Ulster will come back to form. I mean, we know that. Uh, I mean, the Leinster game was, it was, as Stephen Ferris said, it was the deck chair folding. And as I said, the most annoying part about that game for me was we ended up actually a man down for seven odd minutes and Leinster took their chances. And I actually think we had tried to defend the lead, which you can't do in rugby, especially in the LDS against Leinster. But the most annoying thing for me was when the game was gone and we knew we'd lost it, we knew if we got one more try, we got a losing bonus point. And up they stepped and scored another try, which was the first bit of rugby they played in 26 minutes. So, you know, that's that's a that's a game plan thing. That's 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 tactics. The sale game, because we're going, we're taking things in isolation, not completeness. Look, guys, we all know that the Ulster team went over there with four hours sleep you know, and stepped on their pitch and played a, a European game against a bloody good side and got hammered. I'm not going to try and explain that. I mean, uh, it's, they're just not going to be up for a game before our sleep. Not not happening. Uh, and they were awful, but I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And could they have kept themselves separate from it this weekend? Well, all I'm going to say is I listened to Johnny Petrie and Dan McFarlane speak this weekend, and they were both seething, uh, particularly Dan McFarlane. So there's no way the players were totally immune to that. Uh, it's very hard to explain why the first half and second halves were so different. Was it the hairdryer treatment? Was it the changes? I don't think it's just down to those because it was such a change. I do believe La Rochelle ran out of puff in the last 20, and and I think they'll do that against any team that stretches them because we started to get forward party with them. We started, really, you know, as they're saying, we weren't going so wide. We were attacking them up front, wore them down. They had a yellow card, so did we. Uh, and actually, that Henderson yellow card I was a bit confused by it because I thought the ball had come loose. And then we saw Skelton do the same thing about seven minutes later and he got a penalty for it. And I went, those look like identical scenarios to me, but, you know, I'm maybe looking at it with, with rose-tinted glasses a bit. It was certainly a much better performance in the second half. I think we learned some interesting things. I think we learned that perhaps uh, some players maybe need to be looked at for other positions, for example. Uh that we don't have the backup we need in certain positions, but maybe we actually do. Um, and I think if they can repeat the performance of the second half and call it this Friday night, they've certainly got a chance. Injuries permitting, of course, because we've got quite an injury list this week. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and Nigel, do you know off the top of your head, what, what are they, sorry, this is putting you on the spot, the injury updates this week, um, who, who are we still missing? Well, we've lost uh, we've lost Billy Burns this week. Uh, we're still missing Balakun. And we lost Rob Herring's gone. And then Rob Herring's gone. Uh, Angus Curtis as well. Curtis is gone. He got injured in the A game. Um, I say Balakun's out with a hamstring. I think we lost who? We lost a prop. Is it is it uh, Tom O'Toole? Have we lost him? Yeah. Um obviously Warwick's banned. Um you know, so we're yeah. we're we're getting down into our, <laughs> our, our our squad depth here. Having said that, I think we can still put a good side out. Uh, yeah. So I think 10 is going to be interesting this weekend. Yeah. Um, is, is, is it going to be young Flannery? Um, it, it probably is, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, obviously, you know, people that have been out long term, you know, are still out. Um, yeah, we've got quite a list this week. 
Yeah. Or, or, or is Nathan Doak going to start coming in and we're going to start looking at him maybe for backup 10 or starting 10 or whatever? <laughs> um, probably not starting 10, but he's an option there now, isn't he? Yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. I want to turn to talk about a few individuals, and this is just sort of to the group. Uh, so were there any individuals who sort of stood out to you? Nathan Doak's a good one to start with. How do you think he got on? Do you think there's a, a maybe a long-term future for him at 10? Possibly, but... I mean, he's had a couple of horrible games at nine, let's be honest. He, his kicking went off for about three games there. And these are games that, you know, uh, that game even at Leinster. Both games against Leinster were winnable, actually. We lost them by seven points. And we've been architects of our own demise somewhat in some of those games. But you can't fault me. You're playing a quality Leinster side. I mean, that's most of the international team you're playing. But he, he his, kicking, his kicking off the tee has not been good. And we know it normally is. But I think when he moved into 10 there at the weekend, he did show he's an intelligent player for his for his age. Very smart player. And you need yeah. your 10s to be smart. You Absolutely. Know, they've got to run the game. Yeah. And he, he does play with that sort of uh, confidence beyond his years. Now, he's been out of form, but look, he's, he's very young. And I think uh, a lot's expected of him. So like, every player goes through, he dips in form. We expect to see... Nathan Doak, I've said for a while, as, as of most people, that he, he could be the next big thing, you know, in Ulster and potentially Irish rugby as well. He's that good. Um, is there any other sort of names or individuals who stood out to you from the Ulster, from an Ulster perspective on Saturday? Well, I think Anderson led the comeback, didn't he? Um, and, and I think he did lead. I'm not 100% sure about him at six. It's nice to see him at six, but he's been playing second row for so long that... He's become a second row. He's a good second row. So I don't really know why we're playing at six, but, mm. you know, obviously Dan could explain that one. Not that he's bad. He's not a bad guy to have around any part of the back five, but I'm just wondering why is he a six? Um, in the second half, I thought our pack played well. Um, you know, Dwayne Vermullen had a decent second half, and I think he's he, he's got to justify his paycheck a bit. I think at times, sometimes he goes a bit, you know, anonymous in games for me for the size of him and for the guy who he is. Um, I think Luke Marshall never lets the side down. You know, I thought it was great to see him back playing. He's our inform thirteen at the moment. McCluskey is our inform twelve. Um, I thought played pretty well. Nobody shone really, but I think a few leaders showed their worth in the second half. And I would say Henderson, McCluskey, Doak, probably three people that I thought made moves in the game that changed the fortunes a bit, created scores, created space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Henderson stepped up. It's good to see him back playing. I quite, I always thought Henderson. I, I think you're you're probably right. I think his his future, especially from sort of Ireland uh, perspective, is second row. I like the fact he's playing six for Ulster. I think we had some difficulties at six. Uh, to put it to put it kindly, uh, it was Matty Ray started against Sale, and uh, he d- he did not have a good game. Um, if I can interrupt you there, I actually think Matty Ray should consider a move to second row. I think he's too big for a six, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, certainly, certainly, uh, I was looking at the stats uh, there the other week and they, they weren't great. Now, he, he has the potential, he has the physicality and size to, to impose himself. I'd like to see him impose himself a bit more. Um, uh, and you guys, so, so Nathan or Caelan, is, is there anything you would add in terms of individuals that, that you'd maybe look at or were surprised by? I've given him stake in the last few weeks, and but I think you know Stu McCluskey deserves some praise for his second half showing. I mean, we've said it before on this pod that the amount of times he can be a little bit anonymous uh, in these bigger games for Ulster, 
uh, you know, thinking back to that second half against Leinster and we were talking about how Ulster need these guys to, you know, have that impact that that Leinster bench has, the desire to just, you know, impose your will on a game. And he did that uh, early in the second half. He had that big bust stop on first phase, offload, Ulster break in. They've got an overlap on the outside. Now, he did then give away a penalty for uh, saying something untoward to Luke Pierce, So he undid his good work. Uh, to a certain extent, but that was the type of physicality you want him to show against, you know, when he was running against a, a big La Rochelle uh, a back line. Um, you know, and, and then Henderson again, it just, you know, his carrying was excellent at six, uh, which is something we don't see a lot of at second row, which is kind of maybe why he's in there, as well as beefing up the line out against a, a really good set piece team. Um, so it was good that these names that were mentioned, Cooney as well. I mean, his kicking at the end with pressure on, bonus point on the line, it was excellent, you know. It, it's kind of it, it's a positive that they're the bigger names that we're mentioning that they're stepping up after the last two weeks and like we said you know imposing their will on the game and, and, and changing the game when in the previous few weeks that ability to 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 make an impact has been from from the Ireland internationals ha, has been lacking so I think that 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 was the positive aspect of that psychologically uh, more than more than anything else yeah absolutely and Keelan. Yeah, and even I'm kind of surprised the lads didn't mention him, but Tom Stewart I thought was very good. Last time I was on here, I think he's going to be there thereabouts for the Ireland squad come come February and then come World Cup time, but providing one of the one of the main three is injured, but he did well, got his try, but like twenty tackles and eleven carries. I know he came off and came back on again, and there was I, I won't lie, I kind of missed the actual communication as to why that was, but. Like he, he did really well, and, and I think if Ulster win, we're pointing at him again and saying, well done, you know, he's really stepping up to the mark this season. So I think he was one, and I actually think the two second rows, O'Connor and Carter, did all right, because I, I was questioning the decision not to start Kieran Treadwell, who has done really well for Ireland as that enforcer second row. So to not start him, I was really questioning it, but I think they did really well. They had a combined 23 tackles between them which is a solid shift. And I think um, Treadwell got about 25, 30 minutes. So bearing that in mind, like that's, it's good work for a, for a second row partnership. And as well, if Ulster are going to go deep in URC or Europe, they're going to need that kind of back five of, of the scrum to, to stand up as well, because it's one thing doing it against smaller packs, but to go up against Will Skelton, you know, Ulton Delan come off the bench. He's not a small man. Aldrich, Bougerie, Antonio, you really need to be on the ball. And I actually think in that second half in particular, that Ulster pack were and and th- those two as well as as well as Stuart. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And like, there's uh, guys there um, who I'm not sure if we mentioned, but Marcus Ray to come back in. There's mm-hmm. uh, Sean Raffley. I think you mentioned the other week, Nigel. Um, I think he's back, isn't he? I think he's back for this week, Sean. Rafael, I think is, that, so. is that right? Well, that would be great because um, we, we have on the injury list. Yeah, well, that's good because we haven't seen much of him, but uh, just mainly from actually the preseason friendlies and his reputation he arrived with. You know, when he's uh, he's an absolute nuisance in the best possible way <laughs> when he's in your team, like so. Um, be great to have uh, Raffle Marcus Ray. Imagine that uh, in terms of a breakdown threat. Um, as as you say, like just want to add to that. I think Vermeulen didn't have his best game. Very quiet. Unfortunately, he's not the sort of destructive runner that that Katia was, and that's fine. They just want to see him contribute in other ways. I have to say, he, he sort of divided opinion. I think he's been very good since he arrived at Ulster, but um, he just he maybe didn't have his best game there on Saturday. 
Um, and yeah, I, I like seeing Hendy freed up at six uh, as well, as, as we were saying earlier there, Nigel, about his, his futures probably at second row. But I like seeing him sort of experimented with and I actually thought this would open up the door for Treadwell, as, uh, as you say, but it's... Uh, he's being brought on rather than starting, which is interesting. It seems Alan O'Connor is very much favoured. He's, he's very much the man at the cool face. He does a lot of on-scene work and McFarland, McFarland trusts him. I think that's on, fair. On-scene, on-scene leader, Alan O'Connor. We talk about the Hendersons and the McCluskies and I think, you know, uh, Alan does the ugly stuff, mm. but he does the stuff that you need yes. in, in the rocks and the malls. <laughs> and he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. I think he's a superb player for us. Yeah, so we'll give him a shout out here and say, well done, Al, for, <laughs> for your hard work. It's goes on acknowledged and at the cold face for Ulster. And he does, he puts in a shift and you can see that from his tackling stats. And I'd be interested to see more of, uh, of his rocking stats. He seems to be one of the first guys to a lot of, of rocks and um, uh, that that is not glamorous. Whereas Treadwell is a guy who likes to get his hands in the ball and he carries and tackles, makes sort of big, dramatic hits. Uh, whereas, if I, may, if I may, sorry, Peter, just on the side of Mullen because I knocked him a wee bit. I just think he's been a bit once at times because when he fires up, Jesus, the man's the man's desperate. He's 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 a uh, he's a bowling ball, but. Uh, I will say one thing for him to score that try on the wing. That was ridiculous. <laughs> but but fair play to him with a great try. <laughs> he looked at he looked completely punctured for about 10 minutes after. <laughs> I mean it's not it's not he only had to sprint about 20 yards. But like fair play to him, finished it superbly and he's he I'm only joking, he has some engine as well for a man who's uh, what is he, 36 now, uh, get, getting on in years. But uh, we're very lucky to have him and uh, a huge fan of Vermeulen as well. Very quick shout out to La Rochelle, uh, their physicality. We mentioned, I think it was Keelan mentioned, um, Skelton, Aldrete in particular, um, bullies, Ulster's pack, yeah. uh, pinched turnover ball when, when they got the opportunity. Um yeah. In terms of capping off that performance, look, there's a couple of key moments there. There's the the Cooney slip. It was just a soft try and the scrappy line-out try as well. And look, if, if those hadn't, woulda, coulda, shoulda. But if those tries hadn't been scored, uh, <laughs> sorry, now I'm saying it sounds like a ridiculous point, but if, if Larisha hadn't scored so many, Ulster may have won. <laughs> but well, no, I, I, I always say in rugby, there doesn't have to be an awful lot wrong with your game for you to be on the receiving end of a kicking. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Small margins sometimes. Game of tiny margins, exactly. Yeah, it's those those wee moments, like just a scrappy sort of no one's particular fault off the back of that lineout. We just couldn't get our hands on it. Your, your man crashed through. Cooney, you know, just unfortunate. Like, those things happen. Um, and there's in that sense, you do come away from that thinking, flip what what could have been. But um, in terms of just briefly to finish off uh, as. And come full circle, I think Caelan said at the start, look, Connacht is going to be the big test because our our consistency has, or sorry, or rather our, our inconsistency has been frightening. Um, that I think halves are maybe two weeks. I know it's just two weeks, but it's 160 minutes of terrible rugby, let's be honest. That can kill positivity and motivation in the squad. So I want to ask you all, what do you think about this weekend going down to Connacht? Tough place to go. I want to get your thoughts on that. I'll, I'll jump in and take that, uh, Peter. I think I, Ulster on paper should win this game. But of course, 
the massive caveat with Interpros is we don't know what sort of team we're going to see. Ulster also have a heap of injuries. I think they've about 10 or 11 big name players there, thereabouts in some sort of bang. So if if Ulster produce what we've seen in the first eight weeks of the league, they should win. Like they've came close to Leinster. They won. They bet the Lions down in Johannesburg. They bet Munster down in Thomond Park. They should be able to win this game. But on the flip side of that, if Ulster are a team who are slightly treading in the wrong direction, still to be confirmed whether that slide is just down to things not in their own control, Connacht are trending upwards. You know, they've beaten Breve with a bonus point. They bet Newcastle, bet Benetton, they bet Scarlets, Ospreys. I think there's one more win in there um, as well this season. Like they've, they're, they're not big, massive games. They haven't beaten a Leinster or a, or a Stormers or anyone, but they're trending upwards and they're, if, if I was to call it, I think Connor could just take this one. They love an Interpro at Christmas time in the sports ground. It's as cold as anywhere on earth and it, it just definitely will be. And I, I think Connor's a winner, but for, for Ulster, like it is about bouncing back. It is about putting up performance. I think the first 40 minutes will tell a lot because they've started brilliantly against Leinster and then started horribly in the next two games. They have to come out of the traps. They have to do something, whether it's another hairdryer treatment from McFarland or whether it's something being tweaked in there in how they play. Maybe it's a new 10. Maybe it's Flannery. You know, last time I was on, I did say, I'd like to see him get a goal. But at the same time, Connacht are a team high in confidence in an Interpro packed out sports ground. It's a it's as tough as a, of an ask as you'll see because I think they should beat Munster the following week in Ravenhill because Ulster always beat Munster in Ravenhill and I say that as a Munster fan. But this this is one. This is where you steady the ship. You get a win here. I think you're potentially looking at two or three points gained compared to everyone else at the table if you're winning in Goa. It's it's a big one. I think Hunt will just scrape it, but it's it's a huge game for Ulster. They have to right the wrongs of the last two weeks and the second half against Leinster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's huge. It's huge, and I suppose uh, it hasn't really taken on as much significance in the past. I suppose you, you sort of go, go to Connacht hope for the best. But this this requires a big performance. What do you what do you guys think about uh, about Friday night? Well, I'll go here. We're going to see some uh, personnel changes on Friday. We know that because of injuries. So it's, it's really who we start. Uh, our front row is going to change, but I don't think that's going to be particularly. We, we seem to be fairly deep with props and hookers this year. Uh, second row is not going to be a problem. Don't think back row will. Nine and ten. Well, nine is going to be Cooney. It's who's going to be the ten. I think it'll be Flannery. Uh, I think Doug will be on the bench. And I think he'll be on the bench to step in at nine or ten. Uh, back lines, I mean, we've, we've got McCluskey. We've got... Um, Marshall, uh, probably the same wingers from last week, probably the same fullbacks. There's not going to be huge changes, but there will be a few key ones. The 10's a big one. And mm. I think Jake Lamary will be given a chance this weekend. And and I like what I see of him. Uh, I mean, the lad's definitely got potential. Um, and, uh, you know, it's what they do with the other subs. If they go 5-3, they'll probably put in uh, another backline or centre player. I don't see a nine backup, so Michael McDonald's probably not mm. Maybe they're not going to get a look in. Although I think we'll be okay this weekend. And sometimes new faces bring us new challenges, new excitement. Um, I think this whole EPC, this whole European thing has been a bit of a 
disaster in many ways for Ulster, both games. Yeah. And uh, now that's the line they can draw below this and say, right, we're back to the league. You know, now we're back to the, the bread and butter rugby. Let's put this behind us and move on. I think they will. Yeah, yeah let's hope so. Nathan, any thoughts on Friday night? Do you think Ulster uh, can, I suppose the performance is, is key, but do you think they can get a result against Connor? To be honest, I think if you're looking for that big season, re, uh, what's the word, re-energising win, I think they're more likely to get it against Munster in New Year's. I think you just look at Munster got Leinster coming down. You look at who Leinster have not been playing recently. They haven't played Sexton. They haven't played Gibson Park. They haven't played Furlong. They're going to be strong going down to Toman Park. I think Munster are going to put out a stronger side in Toman Park and on Boxing slash Stevens Day than they will up in, up in the Kingspan. So they, and look at Connacht actually didn't play a first choice 15 at all. Uh, they mixed and matched a little bit in the last two European games. So Connacht will pick a very strong team this week. And I think Munster will pick a stronger team this week than up in Kingspan. So you look at that just on paper. I think the Munster game is, is the more likely uh, for, for Ulster at home as well. But look, I, I also agree with the lads. I think if Jake Bannery comes in and has a, has a good day out, then it, you know the young 10 having a good day just completely rejuvenates a squad. So that, that also wouldn't surprise me. But um I, my gut instinct is they're more likely to get a result um, on, on New Year's up in, up in Belfast than, than out in Galway. Yeah, no, it'll be tricky. And look, we'll be talking about the game next week. There's uh, there's another podcast off the back of that game. So I suppose the second half, 40 minutes showing, has the potential to reinvigorate Ulster. Securing knockout qualification at this stage will be difficult, but those two bonus points will be vital uh, if there's any chance of, of doing that. So either way, Ulster can head back to the RC next week with some degree of enthusiasm. And uh, If you are looking for even more positivity, uh, as the guys have already said, only Leinster have got the better of Ulster in the league this season. So let's remember that. Forget if you're going to race from your memory the past couple of weeks and focus on the positives, which is what we try and do here. So, guys, thanks so much, uh, Nathan, Nigel, Kalen, for joining me. Always good to chat to you. Yes, thanks. No problem. Good to chat, lads. The Red Hand is proudly partnered with Shredded Juice Bar, a fantastic local business based on Belfast's bustling Lisburn Road. Shredded Juice Bar stocks a range of fresh, healthy, wholesome and delicious foods and drinks. Fresh juices, smoothies, SIE bowls, protein pots, overnight oats, protein balls, salads and wraps. You can tailor our menu to your needs. Everything is served just the way you like it. We're all about feel-good food. Come and give us a try. We know you'll love it. We're open seven days a week. That's Shredded Juice Bar on the Lisburn Road in Belfast. We look forward to seeing you soon. Hello, the Red Hand listeners. This is Jonathan Moore from SS Moore Sports in Belfast. We just stopped us at the front door of the City Hall onto Chester Street, where we've been since 1950. We again, like most other years, carry a full range of the Ulster rugby product. We do hoodies, tees, polos, jackets, gilets, scarves, hats, luggage. We do adults and kids. And that can be seen in store or online at ssmsports.co.uk. Hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget, shop local.